Hello, everyone, and welcome to Falato on Football. I'm your host, Nick Falato on Big Blue View Radio. Week one is just about in the books, ladies and gentlemen. I just got done witnessing Sunday night football. It was a rather boring affair, to be honest. And the Rams were able to pull out the victory, get that dub, a 20-17 win to open up SoFi Stadium against the Dallas Cowboys. So it's an interdivision rival for us Giant fans. And I got to tell you, man, Dallas's defense, I don't know what they were doing under Mike Nolan. It seems like assignment sound football was just not there, especially in the first half. They had absolutely no answers for Robert Woods or the rushing attack with Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers. But for whatever reason, the Rams could not put the Cowboys away, and they were able to just continue to compete and almost actually steal the game but then that controversial pass interference offensive pass interference I should say against Michael Gallup where there was a slight arm extension but Jalen Ramsey definitely sold it got the call to basically end the drive for the Dallas Cowboys and it was a crappy way for the Cowboys to end up losing this game and you had Ezekiel Elliott just under 100 yards rushing, had a touchdown. Dak Prescott, 266 yards and a touchdown. Jared Goff didn't have any touchdowns, had one interception, and it was really just the Robert Woods show. There was some 12 personnel. They showed some 13 personnel. I know there's been a lot of talk on what kind of personnel packages the Rams are going to use, but they were doing the same stuff they've always been doing, a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of pre-snap motion before they run the football to kind of open up the middle of the defense and also create a sort of guise to maybe this could be some sort of jet sweep or touch pass to the wide receiver to just kind of helps keep the defense on their toes. We saw a lot of that from the Los Angeles Rams, but they were able to get it done opening up in their new stadium. Amari Cooper had 10 catches in this game, 81 yards, had a 14 targets. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why C.D. Lamb wasn't on the field for the last play of the game when they were out five wide. It was just somewhat head-scratching. C.D. Lamb looked good. He had six targets, caught five of them for 59 yards. But I tell you, the NFC East, look at it. Giants play Monday night, as most of you know, I'm sure, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But this division's crazy. The Washington football team getting the dub, the comeback victory on Dwayne Haskins' shoulder, not really, but it was mainly that defensive line, Chase Young and Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan just getting after a horrendously beat up offensive front that the Philadelphia Eagles trotted out there. And honestly, it looked good for the Eagles early on in the affair. Philadelphia went up 17-0 and ended up losing the game 27-17. Washington with an amazing comeback against their division rivals basically like I said before on the back of their defense but early on the Eagles just looked really good they had that third and 22 pass to Jalen Rager where Carson Wentz put it right where it needed to be and it just looked like it was going to be one of those games week one where Washington just cannot keep up but they made enough plays down the stretch. Chase Young had a sack and a half. Carson Wentz ends up getting sacked eight times in this game, and you could tell the pressure was just really getting to him, and that offensive line couldn't hold up. Boston Scott, who everybody was raving about, ends up going down with an injury and leaving midway through the game. Their fourth-string tackle, Jack Driscoll, who was a rookie out of Auburn, ends up going down with an injury, and they have to bring in another backup. So there's no continuity on that offensive line, and they could not keep up with the likes of Ryan Kerrigan and Sweat and Chase Young. So Dwayne Haskins really didn't have to do all that much. He was 17 to 31 for 178 yards. He had a touchdown to Logan Thomas, former tight or former 
quarterback, now tight end. Speaking of tight ends, Carson Wentz just peppered his tight ends. Dallas Goddard had nine targets. Zach Ertz had seven targets. We figured that much when Rager was going into the game with an injury. Alshon Jeffrey was not playing, but Deshaun Jackson didn't have his week one blow-up game either. It was a letdown on the Eagles' part, and they allowed the Washington football team to just crawl back and score the last 27 points of this football game to start this NFC East off with Washington 1-0, Giants haven't played yet, and then both the Eagles and Cowboys are both 0-1. So that's an amazing start for the NFC East, especially if the Giants can mount something. But yeah, Dwayne Haskins looked really poor early on, and there was one point in the fourth quarter where Washington only had a 7% chance to win according to NFL Next Gen or Pro Football Focus or one of those statistical algorithm-based probability sites that really put a lot into the analytics but Washington overcame that to get the upset and it was not the only upset on this slate because the Jacksonville Jaguars upset the Indianapolis Colts 27 to 20 in Jacksonville and the Colts were a really popular survivor pick so there might be some really messed up pools but Phillip Rivers could not get get it done. He just couldn't get it done. He had two picks. He had 363 yards, dropped back 46 times, but Gardner Minshew just outplayed him. It was 19 of 20, which is absolutely crazy. 19 of 20 for only 173 yards, but had three touchdowns, also had 19 yards on the ground. Marlon Mack suffers a devastating Achilles injury early on, which opened the door for Jonathan Taylor to get nine carries. He did not do all that much with it. It's very obvious that Indianapolis has a clear role for Naheem Hines on third down, and they even used him on first and second down so it looks like they're bringing Jonathan Taylor along a little bit slow slower which is definitely unfortunate for fantasy purposes but the Marlon Mack injury definitely opens up more opportunity for Jonathan Taylor so you might want to be patient and you might want to play the matchups right now I know this is a dominant rushing football team but they could not establish that against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense which should have not been as dominant as they were against a team that theoretically is supposed to be able to run the football so well Paris Campbell somebody to look to pick up in leagues he had six catches had nine targets operates out of the slot we know Philip Rivers loves to throw to slot receivers he did with Keenan Allen when he was out there at Los Angeles San Diego whatever you want to call them but as for Jacksonville now Jacksonville able to establish the run into a solid manner with James Robinson 16 for 62 3.9 average which isn't great but it's better than what a lot of people expected. But LaVisca Chenault, somebody that I was really high on coming out of the draft, had three catches, 37 yards, had a touchdown, only had four targets, so the opportunity isn't necessarily there. Granted, DJ Chark only had three targets, called all three of them, one of them for a touchdown for 25 yards. So there wasn't as much passing in this specific game script for Gardner Minshew because the Colts didn't really show up for this game. But I look at... LaVisca, and I think as this year progresses, his role is going to continue to expand, especially if something might happen to some somebody like James Robinson because Divina Zigbo is currently dealing with an injury. Reichwell Armstead is in and off the COVID list, it seems like, every single day. Jacksonville gets this win, interdivision win. That is gigantic for this football team. And we could see if Gardner Minshew could possibly lead this team to like six wins and totally blow up the chances of the Jacksonville Jaguars getting someone like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Would that be, would that not be just absolutely ridiculous? But I feel like so many people rally around this kid. Like everyone writes him off because he was like a six round pick. He looks like a guy that you would just chill with. He doesn't look like a professional athlete necessarily because he's hardly taller than six, six foot, six one. But 
seems like people rally around him, and he looked good in this game. So kudos to Gardner Minshew, kudos to Doug Marone and Jay Gruden and that coaching staff to pull off this upset. Not a lot of people thought it could be done, and a lot of people's survivor pools are really screwed up at the moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Then we had the Cleveland Browns debacle. They got trounced on the road in Baltimore, 38-6. And look, everybody is trying to crap on the Browns right now. But there's a little bit of concern for me as well because Kevin Stefanski is the rookie head coach similar to Joe Judge. And this might be a product of this truncated offseason along with the fact that the Baltimore Ravens are a top three team in the National Football League and you're on the road, but the Browns looked like crap. Odell Beckham couldn't do really anything. He had 10 targets, dropped a couple passes, also went out of bounds once and never reestablished himself, only had three catches for 22 yards. Nick Chubb had 10 carries. Kareem Hunt had 13. The usage there is going to drive fantasy uh, players crazy, especially if they drafted Nick Chubb. Baker Mayfield sacked twice, threw a pick, had only 189 yards passing on 39 attempts. The offense could never get anything going whatsoever for the Browns. The only touchdown was to David Njoku, who ended up getting hurt a little bit after that affair. He had three targets, three for 50. But the Ravens, man, look full swing. Lamar Jackson, 20 for 25, 275, three touchdowns, 45 yards on the ground. Mark Ingram was used. On 10 carries, only at 29 yards, but J.K. Dobbins had two touchdowns, 7 for 22. Marquise Brown caught five of his six targets for over 100 yards. Willie Sneed had a touchdown. Mark Andrews was 5 for 58 with two touchdowns. He was very heavily targeted in the red zone by Lamar Jackson, and it was just like the Ravens were toying on him. And I just hope this doesn't happen to the Giants against the Steelers. And I don't expect it to be this bad whatsoever. I really don't. The Ravens are a better team than the Steelers, and I think Joe Judge has a better culture at least being implemented with the New York Giants as opposed to Kevin Stefanski and what's going on with the Browns. It's a totally different environment. The Browns also couldn't catch a break because Jedrick Wills ended up going down with a slight injury in this game. Everything should be okay with him, but he ended up going down mid-game. So did David Njoku after that touchdown. So I look at the Browns and I'm just like, oh, dude, that's a, a really crappy situation in total. Everything with that franchise, there's so many question marks surrounding Baker Mayfield if he's the guy. And going to Baltimore in week one with a new system that you probably only have a rudimentary amount of knowledge about, it's not a recipe for success. And I do think head coaches that have never been head coaches before, like Judge and like Stefanski, are just slightly behind the eight ball. Now, everybody has these excuses to some extent, but I think Judge and Stefanski and coaches like that have it a little bit more difficult. But yeah, the Ravens just absolutely wrecked the Cleveland Browns, getting them back for last year when the Browns actually beat the Ravens. <laughs> it was very, very ugly, very, very early on. But a game that wasn't ugly, but I guess it kind of was because Green Bay took a huge lead, was the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. The Packers beat them 43-34, to an offensive, just shoot a lot of offensive games, which I guess I kind of expected, but a lot of them ended up happening in like the third quarter after adjustments, after halftime adjustments. But Green Bay, they went up 
22 to 10 at halftime. And they ended up with this just offensive onslaught because Minnesota scored 24 points and kind of made it a little bit interesting in the fourth quarter, but not really because Green Bay matched them twice, scored two touchdowns themselves. But Aaron Rodgers showing up like he's the Aaron Rodgers of old. He has been listening to all the critics saying that he's done. And he sees how his team goes out and drafts his successor in the first round, a guy who couldn't even be active week one, and then a running back, a big Brandon Jacobs-like running back, only not as tall, and A.J. Dillon, and doesn't give this guy any receivers whatsoever. And he's like, okay, I'll raise you that. I have a healthy Devontae Adams. Give me this. 364 yards and four touchdowns on 44 passing attempts, 32 completions. Devontae Adams had 17 targets. He's a target monster. 14 of them he caught two touchdowns for 156 yards. Mark Quiz, Valdez, Scantling had a touchdown. Alan Lazard had a touchdown. He's making the most of these receivers. And Devontae is a top three receiver in the National Football League. And they were also able to run the football. Aaron Jones had 16 carries, had 66 yards, was able to score on the ground. And then Dalvin Cook on the other side was able to get two touchdowns as well. But Green Bay was able to dominate this game. This was a really, really big game for the NFC North. A lot of people think the Green Bay Packers are frauds, and I'm in that boat a little bit too, but they were able to open my eyes here. Last year, going into the playoffs, I thought the Packers were the biggest frauds ever. Ever. Literally. Because they every time they were on the road, they would get just their butts kicked by teams like the Chargers and teams that weren't even all that great. And then San Francisco did what San Francisco did to them. I just never thought they were a 13-3 and team. But they made a statement here in week one on the road in Minnesota. They made a real big statement, real loud statement, and Aaron Rodgers definitely made a statement. Okay, draft my successor. We'll see. You don't want to give me any weapons in this really loaded, this really deep wide receiver class, the 2020 wide receiver class, all this depth, and you're not going to give me any weapons. Okay, Roger that. Cool. And Rodgers was able to, Rodgers was able to do a lot there. And if he has a healthy Devontae Adams, this could be really, really interesting. But the NFC North, it's uh, very interesting, and it wasn't the only game. In the NFC North. No, it was not because we had the Chicago Bears going up against the Detroit Lions in Detroit. And I don't know what it is about Matt Patricia as a head coach, what it is about the Detroit Lions, but for whatever freaking reason, in week one, they get this huge lead like they had, and then they just choke like crazy. Remember last year, they tied the Arizona Cardinals, but they had a huge lead against Kyler Murray, and they blew it. This year was just as bad. Chicago couldn't do anything offensively. Mitch Trubisky looked like Mitch Trubisky. It was absolutely terrible. But then in the fourth quarter, when they're down 23-6, to they're able to score 21 points and win this game 27-23. to Mitch finishes 36 attempts, 20 completions, 242 yards, and three touchdowns. One beautiful touchdown pass to Anthony Miller, somebody I'm very high on this year. He hit an old man Jimmy Graham for a touchdown. It's like we were going back in time. David Montgomery didn't really do much on the ground. Neither did Tariq Cohen. And Mitch Trubisky looked really bad through three quarters of this game, but he was able to mount this comeback against Detroit. And I just can't believe it. I really can't. And I think that same index that I was talking about before with the 7% thing with Washington, the Bears had a 2% chance to win this game. But they were able to put plays together, string these plays together to take a lead, which was... I mean, Detroit's not a good team, don't get me wrong. I'm very high on Matt Stafford. I think Matt Stafford is a very underrated player. But Mitch Trubisky's able to find Anthony Miller, Javon Wims, 
and old man Jimmy Graham for touchdowns to mount this comeback. And now you know he's not going to get benched for Nick Foles this week, more than likely, which it looked very likely that he was going to get benched. When you're down by 17, everyone's writing you off, and you look like total just cheeks, you know? But he put it together, so good for him on that. And then it, Matthew Stafford was able to turn it on on that last drive and put the ball right in DeAndre Swift, rookie running back out of Georgia, DeAndre Swift's lap, and Swift dropped the pass in the end zone. And the Lions end up losing that game. Oh, that's devastating, man. That's absolutely devastating. Imagine being a rookie. You score a touchdown early on, and the game is in your hands, and you just cannot secure it. I mean, that's a devastating thing to swallow. Speaking of just another weird game, I mean, this was kind of this was kind of a nutty 1 o'clock slate, I would say. I mean, there were almost 69. There was 68, and then Alvin Kamara almost scored again, but there were almost 69 total touchdowns before the Sunday night football game. And quite a bit of them were scored in Atlanta. So the Seahawks beat the Falcons 38-25. to And Russell Wilson was just Russell Wilson, man. This guy is incredible. 31 of 35 for 322 yards and four touchdowns. They tried pressing DK Metcalf, which was a terrible idea on a third and long, which led to a huge touchdown for the second-year wide receiver. And Russell Wilson was just pinpoint accurate. Greg Olson ends up getting his first touchdown as a Seattle Seahawk. Chris Carson caught two receiving touchdowns on six catches for 45 yards. Didn't do as much on the ground. Only had six carries. Carlos Hyde actually had seven carries. And if that's, that keeps up, that's going to be very, very frustrating. But on the flip side... Todd Gurley had 14 carries for 56 yards and a touchdown. It looked like Falcons were just not getting anything done outside of that Gurley touchdown. They only had 12 points until the fourth quarter when they scored 13 points, and Matt Ryan was able to have an amazing fantasy day kind of out of nowhere. He threw the ball 54 times. 37 of them were complete for 450 yards and two touchdowns. And he only had he, only, he had the one interception, but Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Calvin Ridley had two of those touchdowns. Julio Jones had a huge day. Russell Gage had a big day. Each of them had nine catches, and each of them had 12 targets. So that is really spreading the love across your three receivers. Now, Hayden Hurst didn't have as big of a role as I would have liked personally. I think the role is going to be fine in this year. He had a brilliant diving catch. But it's definitely something that I hope increases. But the Falcon game was very, very exciting. Seahawks showing you, hey, we're really good. Jamal Adams was just everywhere in this game. He was probably one reason why Hayden Hurst did not have a huge fantasy outing because he was just operating at a Jamal Adams type level. Okay, we all know how Jamal Adams is. He's a bit vocal, but he does such good work in backside pursuit around the line of scrimmage in the box. He does very good work in coverage as well. He's a very talented player, and you can see why the Seattle Seahawks traded for him. I mean, this is their winning window right now. You're trying to win with Russell Wilson. You have this elite quarterback that hopefully they allow this quarterback to cook. Hopefully they can. But 38 points on the road week one, that's a good start. <laughs> then he had the Jets' bills. The Jets are probably the most anemic team in the league. They were able to score 17 points. They got a touchdown in the third, touchdown in the fourth quarter. One of them was a breakaway run by Jamison Crowder that went like 69 yards for a touchdown where he broke a couple tackles. Lev Bell suffered a little injury, and Josh Adams ended up coming in and getting a 
garbage touchdown towards the end of the game. Sam Darnold did not look all that great in the affair either. And Josh Allen, kind of the Josh Allen things. He had 46 passing attempts, 33 completions for 312 yards and two touchdowns. But he also just gives the ball away. Sometimes he just makes a lot of head scratching and kind of dumb plays. If I'm going to be just frank, there were two plays in the game where I just was shaking my head. One was, well, actually three, I guess, because you had the fumble where he just basically gave it to the New York Jets. And then there was one where Josh Allen missed a wide receiver who was wide open on a rollout and just did not throw the football accurately. And we also have a play where Dawson Knox was wide open in the end zone and Steph Diggs was pointing at Dawson Knox. He was about 10 yards in front of him, just pointing at Dawson Knox. And Josh Allen just airmailed it. And it's just, oh, it's so frustrating if you're a Bills fan, which I'm obviously not, but Josh Allen has all the capabilities. He just cannot put it all together. He has a lot of traits that are moldable, but he cannot put it together. But in this case, it really didn't matter. The Jets are a hapless team at this point in time. They lost Jamal Adams. Their defense, I feel like, is respectable, even though they just gave up 27 points. I'm a big fan of Marcus May. I know he was all over the place in a little bit of the game that I ended up seeing. He was doing a really good job. I feel players like Foley Fadakasi are very underrated, but they're not the going to really affect the pass, which is the issue. But there's just not a lot of talent on this team, and this team could be picking in the top three next year. I don't know how the future is going to view someone like Sam Darnold, who I feel like is given a pretty long leash for someone who has not had a lot of success. Granted, he doesn't have a lot around him, but the Jets, man, that's that's an ugly situation for sure. And if the Bills and can ever get Josh Allen right, that could be a really, really good situation. Steph Diggs in his first game as a Bill had nine targets, eight catches for 86 yards, and we'll see how this team can continue. The Buffalo Bills, that is, because they could legit be a Super Bowl contending team and they kind of already are but if they get Josh Allen right it's going to be even better for them obviously doesn't doesn't even need to be said but to stay in the AFC East the Patriots and Cam Newton beat the Dolphins 21 to 11 Cam Newton had two rushing touchdowns in this game it was good to see him scoot out there honestly if I'm going to be real I see him take some of these hits and I see how he's acting just like just very confident with taking hits, not protecting his body. And I know he's so big that he's able to kind of absorb that. But it scares me a little bit, man, because I don't want this guy to get hurt. I think he's great for the league. I think he's a really energetic and a cool story for New England because Tom Brady was there for so long. And now Belichick has Cam Newton, a former MVP, and he can revitalize his career up there in New England. But I didn't see him push the ball down the field vertically too much. I saw a lot of dink and dunks to guys like Julian Edelman and even a little bit to Keneal Harry, players like that. Ryan Izzo, who was their tight end, who he dinked and dunked to a couple times. But I look at what they're able to do with their rushing attack now. A lot of zone reads, some option plays I saw. It was pretty exotic, pretty cool to see Josh McDaniels get to work with someone like Cam Newton. And Cam Newton looked good from that aspect. I just don't want him to take huge hits because this is a long season and he has a history of injuries. Sony Michelle did gross things, 10 carries for 37 yards, ended up falling into the end zone, still got less than 10 fantasy points in a PPR league, in a half-point PPR league either. So it probably upsets people in that manner but that's neither here nor there and as for Miami Ryan Fitzpatrick had three picks did not look good they couldn't really get anything going on the ground I know Jordan Howard plotted into the end zone but that's whatever he had less than one yard per carry he had eight carries for seven yards 
Preston Williams got the Stephon Gilmore treatment. Devontae Parker didn't do all that much. Mike Gusecki wasn't really targeted. So it was just not a great day for Miami. They're a rebuilding team. I think the Patriots are still going to be a wild card team this year. And it was good to see Cam back out there. And as for the Raiders and the Panthers, Raiders were able to travel across country for a 1 o'clock start. Something that I some times you know in fantasy and embedding you should pay attention to sometimes bodies don't adjust as well when west coast teams have to travel to the east coast for a one o'clock start but didn't affect the raiders they won this game 34 to 30 i thought teddy bridgewater looked solid in the affair but kind of teddy bridgewater-esque accurate short throws not challenging vertically all that much but 270 yards for a touchdown on 34 attempts 22 completions christian mccaffrey was used obviously through the air Obviously on the ground, had two touchdowns. Josh Jacobs had three touchdowns. Their stat lines were almost identical. Josh Jacobs was 25 for 93. Christian McCaffrey was 23 for 96. And as for the Raiders receiving attack, didn't see that much from Brian Edwards. He had one target. But you saw Nelson Aguilar had one target. Darren Waller had eight targets. Henry Ruggs had five targets. He ended up suffering a little injury but coming back in the game. They just spread the ball around. Jason Witten had a one or a two yard catch, one target. Jason Witten's catching balls on teams that aren't the Cowboys. It's kind of weird to see. He's not in the Monday Night Football booth anymore on the Raiders, but hey, he still wants to play some football. So good for him, right? I'll never begrudge somebody for that. Then on Carolina's side, DJ Moore didn't do as much. He had nine targets, didn't make as much from it. Robbie Anderson had that 75 yard touchdown catch. A lot of people are going to be flocking to the free agent wire to kind of pick up Robbie Anderson. I'm probably going to withhold on that. I think DJ Moore is going to be utilizing this offense a lot more. It just didn't happen in this specific affair. I give a lot of credit to the Panthers for kind of battling back a little bit. They had 15 points in the fourth quarter to make it an interesting game, but the rushing attack of the Raiders was just a little bit too much. Josh Jacobs was an absolute beast in this affair, and Derek Carr was able to throw some really nice balls in this game. One where Josh Jacobs got one of his touchdowns. He put a beautiful pass on the Henry Ruggs, and it was down at like the one-yard line or something like that, and then the Raiders were able to just punch it into the end zone. I'm sure Gruden's thrilled about getting that road victory. Another road victory that happened was the Chargers against the Bengals, which was a much more competitive game than a lot of people felt like it was going to be. The Bengals, Joe Burrow, first overall pick. He had a couple boneheaded plays. He had the one interception that he threw to Melvin Ingram that was pretty stupid. But other than that, he really battled himself back. He put his team into a position to tie the game and go to overtime, and then Randy Bullock, their kicker, ends up seemingly getting hurt as he kicked the ball. It went wide right, and he was limping off in pain. A lot of people are attacking the guy, but it seems like he might have gotten hurt on that play. But that really sucks because Joe Burrow played pretty well, and he really put himself, his team, into a position to win this football game against a really talented Chargers defense. And yes, the Chargers defense doesn't have Derwin James, but they're still talented. Now, speaking of that Chargers team, still love that pass rush. Not a huge fan of that offense. They didn't necessarily look all that great. They couldn't get the ball to Keenan Allen. He had eight targets, only four catches. They were peppering Mike Williams, who almost didn't play the game because of an AC joint injury. But Mike Williams looked really good. He looked really good. Four catches for 69 yards, but he looked athletic. He was jumping and leaping over players and landing on that shoulder, and it didn't look like it was affecting him. But the story of the Chargers offense is Joshua Kelly, who looks like he's definitely the clear number two behind Austin Eckler 
in this offense. So Justin Jackson could probably be dropped in fantasy leagues, but Josh Kelly needs to be owned. He had 12 carries for 60 yards and a touchdown, and he was a hard physical runner, had five yards a carry. Austin Eckler had 19 carries for 84 yards, and I think this is going to be much more of a split than people want it to be because people drafted Austin Eckler early in the second round. Nobody even knew who Josh Kelly was. At the when fantasy drafts were going on, and it seems like the workload is going to be pretty even on first and second down. If not, it will edge towards Kelly, and Eckler will be more of that passing downs back, third down kind of player. And that's kind of what Eckler has always done, even though he only had one target in this game, which isn't something that's all that great. But I'm a little tentative on the Tyrod Taylor offense right now. He's another guy who he has had success in the past pushing the ball vertically when he was with the Bills, but. I don't know how much is left there, and he his team literally almost lost this game, and the team would have had to go to overtime if it wasn't for that Randy Bullock mix, missed kick. So it's definitely a situation to monitor. I don't know if we're actually going to go this whole season without seeing Justin Herbert on the field. As for Cincinnati, A.J. Green saw nine targets in this game, one almost touchdown but he was called for a push off in the end zone it looked like it was a little bit more of a push off there were a couple push offs called today that one he did fully extend his arm you could see the corner kind of jolt backwards and it didn't look like as big of a sell job as Jalen Ramsey's was with Michael Gallup now that one was a little bit more subtle and I don't know if you make that call the Michael Gallup one but I was fine with that AJ Green call but that led to the missed field goal Instead, it would have been a touchdown, and the Chargers would have had a chance to drive down the field with hardly any time left. But the A.J. Green penalty ends up costing the Bengals the game, essentially. You can't put it on Joe Burrow's lap, though. He played well. He had the one boneheaded mistake, but he played relatively well in this game. Joe Mixon, you like to see him do a little bit better than this. He's actually getting the carries, and he's not doing all that much with it. But he also has Bobby Hart as his right tackle, so how much are we going to really hate on the guy? You know what I'm saying? It's going to be a short week for the Bengals anyways because they have to go to Cleveland for Thursday night football. So we get to watch Joe Burrow, everybody's eyeballs on him. That's going to be kind of cool so we can all evaluate his play against a team that really, really sucked. So prepare for that on the 17th. We also had the Cardinals upsetting the San Francisco 49ers at home. So the Cardinals were on the road. Kyler Murray ends up rushing 13 times for 91 yards and a touchdown throwing 40 times, completing 26 for 230 yards in a touchdown, along with an interception, and targeting DeAndre Hopkins 16 times. And Hopkins caught 14 of them for 151 yards. And Christian Kirk had five targets, caught one ball, zero yards. Not great for Christian Kirk. I think he'll bounce back. I'm still kind of high on Christian Kirk this season, but you're going to be able to get him everywhere after he put up that stinky, stinky stat line. You got to give it to Cliff Kingsbury, man. You got to give it to this Arizona Cardinals team. It was a very, very resilient effort against a San Francisco team that just played in the Super Bowl. But I got to say, man, Jimmy Garoppolo, oof. I mean, he was 19 of 33, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Not terrible stat-wise, but he missed some wide open throws. And you see the tweets floating around Twitter that he's going to count $29 million against the cap next year but they can release him with a dead cap of only about $2 million. I'm telling you, if he does not fix his game and make these big throws and big spots, these third downs, think about the Emmanuel Sanders play in the Super Bowl, he's going to be released next year, and they're going to go a different direction. They are not going to eat that much salary if Jimmy G is holding this team back. This team is built on defense and running the football, and your quarterback just can't make mistakes, and your quarterback has to be able to 
be accurate when it counts. And Jimmy G has not done that consistently. And that's going to be an issue for the San Francisco 49ers if he continues to struggle in this manner. Raheem Mostert handled most of the carries. He had 15 carries for 56 yards, and he also had four catches for 95 yards and that one touchdown on five targets. But this does seem like it's going to be a backfield that's going to be kind of annoying. Tevin Coleman has the sickle cell trait, so he played only very sparingly in this game. And Jarek McKinnon saw a lot of action. He was out there, especially in the third and fourth quarter. Now, he only had three carries. He did have a touchdown catch, and he had five targets, Jarek McKinnon, that is. But with Tevin Coleman on a full, with full capabilities, along with Raheem Mostert and, Te- and Jarek McKinnon, I think Mostert's going to be the one to own. But this might be like a New England kind of backfield where one week it's going to be Mostert, the next week it's going to be Coleman, and you're going to be ripping your hair out if you attempt to start any of them. Now, Mostert bailed everybody out, got over 20 fantasy points, but he got that off of a 76-yard touchdown catch on an arrow route, which I hope Jason Garrett uses the arrow route for Saquon Barkley. The San Francisco 49ers are going to bounce back. They are a very talented team. They lost one at home. This is great for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are not a team to be messed with, and you know 49ers and their fans are going to be pressing this panic button but they're at the jets next week and then they're at the giants the week after they may just chill on the east coast and then they host the eagles and host the dolphins and host the rams before going to the patriots and going to the seahawks but they have a lot of easy games coming up so jimmy g can probably get right against the secondaries of the jets and the giants and hopefully not hinder his team from winning any football games because that would be really unfortunate for him because I don't know how long he would be with the 49ers if that does happen. And then we have the affair. The New Orleans Saints against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Two of the oldest quarterbacks in the league. The oldest quarterback matchup ever. Drew Brees and Tom Brady. What's going to happen in Tom Brady's first start? Well, it wasn't all that great. Two interceptions, two touchdowns, 239 yards, but he lost to Drew Brees in the Superdome, 34 to 23 and there were a lot of little storylines here it's actually like a, a, a episode from gossip girl or some crap man because after the game you got cam jordan coming out and, <laughs> and reporter asked this guy cam jordan's a troll he used to troll cam newton all the time when they were in the same division when cam newton was the quarterback of the panthers cam jordan was asked by a reporter how did it feel playing in a stadium where there were no fans and cam jordan responded well it felt like we were playing at tampa bay <laughs> <laughs> and there were just a lot of shots fired. And then you look at the way this game was coached between Bruce Arians and Sean Payton. It was a two-score game, and the Saints are running trick plays with Taysom Hill throwing it to Alvin Kamara. And then there's 27 seconds left, and all the Saints have to do is kneel on the ball, and they attempt to get Kamara his third touchdown of the game. It definitely, definitely seems like a lot of shade from Sean Payton being thrown at Bruce Arians. You know Bruce Arians. You know Tom Brady is not going to forget this at all. And I know one of Brady's interceptions, too, to go back to that, was Mike Evans, who played this game hobbled, who ended up getting a garbage touchdown at the end of the game. It was Evans running a route up the seam, and it seemed like Evans just stopped the route. I'm not really sure why. And then Brady threw it like he was running up the seam, which resulted in an interception. So it's not like Tom Brady was just playing incredibly poorly or anything of that nature. 
that one. I do think it's funny, though. I really do. Thinking of Sean Payton and Bruce Arians, just that handshake, that contentious handshake of them just being like, oh, I saw what you did. And Bruce Arians just saying all the right things after the game about how they lost in the matchup and how they were outplayed. But, oh, man, that must really grind his gears, the fact that the Saints were just essentially rubbing it in their face. And there was absolutely nothing that the Bucks were doing at that time. Kamara almost ends up getting that third touchdown. They tried for that play. There were trick plays. It's seriously just drama. And that was his game. 34-23, to high-scoring affair, NFC South, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's pretty fun to watch. And then you got the Ronald Jones storyline, okay? Ronald Jones, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Ronald Jones. And then Tampa Bay goes and signs Leonard Fournette after he passes through waivers. But Ronald Jones, you expected to get much of the workload, right? And he did. Leonard Fournette only had five carries in this game for five yards. And maybe his role will be expanded next week. It's likely because he's only been with the team for about two weeks. Granted, Adrian Peterson was able to dial the clock back and play great for the Detroit Lions, which is just incredible. And you have the Buccaneers who face the Panthers next week. Panthers have a pretty easy run defense because we just saw Josh Jacobs score three touchdowns against them. So maybe Fournette will have a bounce back week then. Or maybe Ronald Jones will get the bulk of the work like he did here, 17 for 66. He had a 21-yard game. He was used in the passing game at three targets. But I do think Fournette's going to have a bigger role, which really sucks for anybody who owns Rojo. Chris Godwin had seven targets, six catches for 79 yards. Mike Evans only had that one catch for two yards, and it happened to be a touchdown on four targets. One of those targets resulted in that interception I was referring to. The tight ends were all used. Gronk, two for 11. O.J. Howard, four for 36. Scotty Miller had six targets and seemed like he was getting open and creating good separation. Five for 73 for Scotty Miller. But it's going to be brighter days for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's going to have to be brighter days for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they have incredible amounts of expectation and they have Todd Bowles as their defensive coordinator and he's a very very talented defensive coordinator and that defense has Levante David Devin White has guys like William Goulson who's a solid run defender obviously JPP have Shaq Barrett got Carlton Davis it's a good defense and I think they're going to be able to put this together I just think New Orleans is the top team in the NFC they're the team to beat in the NFC they've been basically robbed you could say two out of the last three years, and some would even argue three out of the last three years. But they didn't get to that promised land of the Super Bowl. And this year, with Drew Brees, continued to age. He was 18 for 30 for 160 and two touchdowns in this game. Didn't have to do all that much, I guess you could say, because the team was able to score 17 points in the second, take that 17 to 7 lead into halftime. And then just kind of hold the Buccaneers off. The Buccaneers made it interesting in the second half, but it was never actually attainable. And Jared Cook was a target monster in this game as well, getting seven targets. Michael Thomas, you barely heard from, had three catches for 17 yards. Manuel Sanders, you barely heard from. Alvin Kamara had the t- the touchdown on the ground, had the touchdown through the air, almost had that third touchdown. But he didn't necessarily do all that much against this stout Tampa Bay run defense. He had 12 carries for 16 yards. Just was able to get in the end zone with that. Bucks will be a wild card team this year. That's what I feel like. And I think next time they play the Saints, it's going to be very, very fun to watch. It's going to be in Tampa. Maybe fans will be allowed back in at that time. Cam Jordan can maybe eat his words. This is going to be November 8th. It's Sunday Night Football is their next matchup on November 8th. 
and Tom Brady is going to hold a grudge. So is Bruce Arians because there's definitely a lot of bad blood between these two teams. We definitely saw that when Marcus Latimer, the cornerback for the Saints, and wide receiver Mike Evans were at each other's throats the entire game. <laughs> it's reminiscent of last year and the year before that because it's always like that with these two teams and I love to see that in sports I don't want to see these athletes be boys I want to see competition competitive toughness I want to see players animosity towards players in a competitive nature obviously nothing malicious or anything ridiculous like that but that's week one of the NFL right there I hope you guys enjoyed the show please rate subscribe and review this podcast let me know if you want me to implement any segments or anything any kind of critiques you have for me I'm all ears and I'm glad you're listening to this all right everybody have a great one I'll be back for Philado's Fantasy Corner on Friday to give matchup advice on some of the best fantasy matchups for week two but until then keep it right here at Big Blue View have a lovely one ladies and gentlemen